Good morning. My name is Christine McDermott. My husband Jeff and I have worshiped here for 26 years, and it's my privilege this morning to lead us in prayer. So will you bow with me? Father, we do adore you this morning. Great are you. And we praise you as our creator God and as our sovereign king. And we thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have so powerfully impacted each of our lives as our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. Father, I pray this morning for the times that we sin against you. There are things that we do that we shouldn't and other things that we know we should do, but we don't. And we ask for your forgiveness and your grace and love this morning. I pray for each of the believers in this room this morning that you will increase our faith that you help us to grow in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for New City as a family and as a body of believers, that you will draw us closer to you in love, that you will bind us together in the unity of the Spirit. And Father, we pray all of these things in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. You can be seated. Uh, thank you, Christine, uh, for, for praying for us this morning, for leading us in that time. Uh, we're in week two of our sermon series, Let Us Pray. And I love that as part of the series, we get to have some of our New City uh, family members uh, leading us in prayer. And so again, Christine, we're so grateful for your time, for your words, for your heart um, in that. If you're joining us um, as a visitor this morning, just want to say a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. If you're watching us at New City Live, uh, we're, we're grateful you're watching us from wherever you are today. My name is Nick Schreiber. I'm the care pastor here at New City, um, and I hope that um, you're all well today. And happy Father's Day to all the, the fathers out there. I hope that your weekend has been, has been great, that your day so far has been great. Um, and today is also, is also Juneteenth, which if you're unfamiliar is that day where our country remembers and celebrates that date, uh, June 19th, 1865, where hundreds of thousands of those who were enslaved uh, were freed in Texas. Um, af, uh, almost three years after the Emancipation Proclamation during the Civil War. And, and it's been a long observed uh, holiday amongst African-American communities and now is observed by the whole U.S. Um, as a federal holiday. And I was thinking about Juneteenth this morning um, and I was trying to imagine that scene of being one who was enslaved and then hearing the message that, that slavery had been ended, that it had been abolished, that, and hearing that news for the first time. It's an amazing scene to think about um, and wish it would have come sooner for sure, um, but, but just know that we remember and celebrate that day um, as we think about our African-American brothers and sisters and, and all of us as a country as well today as we said that. Um, so as we think about all the facets of today, um, and we get to lean into the Lord's Prayer, as we heard. Um, and I wonder, I wonder when you think of the Lord's Prayer, what image or memory comes to your mind? Uh, when did you first start to learn it? For me, for me, I know I, 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 know I heard it from my parents in church, but the, the, the memory that comes to mind most vividly 
is, is I think back to my high school baseball team where every day my coach would have us take a knee and we would recite the Lord's Prayer after every practice and after every game. And I wonder, I wonder what about for you? Uh, maybe it was a part of a, litur- a liturgy that you, that you were brought up in. Maybe it was a catechism that you learned as a kid. Uh, maybe you come from a tradition where you had, the, you had to say our fathers as part of penance. Um, it's interesting, it's interesting how the Lord's Prayer, as we've come to call it, is probably one of the most, if not the most, recognized and recitable passages of Scripture. Uh, and this, I would say, by people from all different kinds of backgrounds and traditions, even if they don't know exactly where it comes from. But there's a danger with familiarity, isn't there? Maybe you've heard it so much. Or maybe you've had it memorized so long that you've lost sight of its beauty. Or you have forgotten about its significance. Or maybe it's just been a while since you've gotten to sit in it. And today we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to pray. Um, and, and because we're, the reason why we're going here is because one of our premises this morning is that when we look at how Jesus teaches us to pray, we learn about what prayer is. And that's where we started the last week as we kind of kicked off our series. We started, where do we start talking about this big topic of prayer? And we started with, well, what is prayer? And again, we, we think today as we look at how Jesus teaches us to pray, we learn about what prayer is. So what is prayer? Do you guys remember what we, where we started last week? We talked about how prayer at this very foundational level, at the core of prayer, prayer is all about relationship. But relationship with Who? Now, hopefully that's an obvious question, or hopefully it begs the obvious answer. Relationship with Jesus. It, just as with his disciples, Jesus invites us into relationship with him. Except now, because of his spirit, he lives in us. And he calls us to be with him, to know him, to follow him. And I, I was remembering this week one of our favorite passages about, that Jesus says. Um, we actually read it last week in our service, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. It's the, it's the passage about Jesus carrying our burden, right? And so if you look at it on the screen... I was thinking about this passage this morning or this week because I love it. But there's, this, there's these four words embedded in this passage that, that I think sometimes we kind of just brush right past. Come to me, all of you who are weary and, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. But do you see those four words right there in the middle? It says, let me teach you. The call to follow Jesus is the call to let him teach us. Jesus wants us to learn from him. He wants us to learn from him how to live, about how to find rest for our souls. And I believe that, that part of that learning is allowing him to teach us how to abide with God, how to talk with the Father and I picture Jesus in this passage we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus, it's almost like he's taking us by the hand and he's saying, let me show you what prayer is. I want to show you the beauty of it. I want to show you all the facets of it. Some of us, some of you have perceptions of it. Some of you have maybe misused it or misunderstood it in the past, but I want to show you what prayer is. And this is why our bottom line this morning is as we think about prayers, let us pray as Jesus prayed. Let us pray as Jesus prayed. That's where we're going. So if you have a copy of the scriptures this morning, start turning to Matthew chapter 6. 
We're going to be looking at it this morning from the New Living Translation, which might be a fresh reading for many of us who grew up with the Lord's Prayer or have it memorized. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 5. If you would, I'd love to have a stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 5. It says, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord to us today. You can be seated. Thank you. I'm so glad that Jesus teaches us about prayer, um, because can you imagine what we'd turn it into if it was left up to us? When actually, those first few verses of the passage give us an indication of what we can turn it into if it's left up to us. You'll notice in the passage that we read, it kind of has two main movements. You have verses 5 through 8, and then verses 9 through 13. Jesus starts, interestingly enough, with how not to pray. And then he moves us to then how to pray. And so that's going to be kind of our outline this morning. So how not to pray. And we're calling this first section religious prayers. Now you notice that in verse 5 that Jesus assumes that his disciples would pray. He says, when you pray. But he quickly posts warning signs. Verse 5, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites who pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Talk about a vivid, a vivid image. They were curating prayer environments, prayer moments, so that people can, can see them, that they would boost their reputation so that they can show off their spirituality. And, 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 and so who's that showing that the prayer is all about? Well, it's about them. Religious pr- prayers are all about self. In verse 5, the, the hypocrites, their motives were to be seen not to be sanctified. They weren't inviting God in to change them. They weren't asking God to, to be at work or in around them. They weren't, it wasn't about a relationship for them. They were praying to be seen by others. And Jesus says that's the, all the reward they will get. Now, I'm not sure if you can relate to that struggle at all, um, but I can. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were asked to pray or you had an opportunity to pray and you think, oh man, I want this one to be a good one. Oh man, I, I don't say anything that will make me look like an idiot. Or, or what would make me, what would be the really smart thing to say or pray right now? Um, and I know, I, I know I might not be the only one out there, but, but, but what's the remedy for that, that struggle? Well, it's for us in those moments to check our hearts. It's to check our motives, to not rush into those moments if we discern, man, there's something in me right now that's all about self. And I believe this is what Jesus is helping us with in verse 6, the remedy. 
Verse 6, Jesus is not against public prayer. He's not mandating that all prayer should be in private or else I and we would be leading you wrong. Um, But what he's doing is he's speaking to the motive and the direction of prayer in verse 6. It's about talking to your father. It's It's about him. It's about being seen by him, not by others. And praying in private reminds us of the heartbeat of prayer. And it checks our motives in the process. Now, I would say, too, that we can also turn prayer into a checklist. Um, This fits into religious prayers where where we can kind of get in this mode where if I pray over and over again, then I'll earn Jesus's or God's love back. Or if, if if I pray over and over, I'll feel better about myself. Or if I can spend five minutes in prayer every day for this many days, and I'll be a really good Christian, and I start to gauge my walk with God based off of these things these religious practices, but be careful, prayer is not a checklist. And he says, and when you pray, don't babble on and on. Don't start speaking without any regard for what you're saying. Don't start speaking without being real. Or, or, or to say it another way, um, don't pray prayers that are all lips and no heart. That's a mark of religious prayers where they're just full of empty phrases. Charles Spurgeon, I love this, he says, Christian prayers are measured by weight and not by length. It's not about the amount of words. It's not about fine-sounding arguments. It's not about saying a certain phrase over and over again. Prayer is not a magic spell or a mantra. Now, now I will say this. Jesus is not saying, though, in verse 7, that, that we can't be, that our prayers can't be repetitious. In fact, in Luke, uh, Jesus says, hey, keep asking, keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking. And if you remember, even in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray. And in the garden, he prays the same thing, the same thing three times. Now, what he's saying in this passage, in verse 7 especially, is that prayer is not some formula. It's not some genie-like algorithm that helps us control God or helps us get what we want. Prayers like this, when we pray them this way, they reveal a wrong understanding of what prayer is. And they actually end up exposing what where our heart is. You see, religious prayers at the core, they reveal heart issues. Um, And it usually revolves around this idea of my way, my desires, my feelings, my reputation, my image. And I think that this, th- these verses can be summarized with this other verse that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 15, where he says this. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus says, don't, don't be like them. And may the Lord help us all when we're struggling in those ways to not say, no, that's not what prayer is. So Jesus starts with what not to do, but then in verse 9, he teaches us the right way, how to pray. He teaches us um, how, how he, he, he then says, hey, this is the way, this is the model. And we're going to call this section righteous prayers because we like alliterations around here. Um, but for no other reason that these are the prayers that God gives to his people, those people that are marked by his righteousness. So righteous prayers. Verse 9, what Jesus says is this. He says, pray like this. And honestly, I think that phrase on its own, those three words are so key in this whole passage. Pray like this. So here is what I want, here's what I want you to think about when you pray. Here's the heart of it. Here's the structure for it. But Jesus is not prescribing that it must be these words verbatim or this length or this order or these phrases. He's saying, no, pray like this. And here's the first line. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. 
May your name be kept holy. When you zero in on those first two words, our Father, we see the difference between religious prayers and righteous prayers. While religious prayers are self-centered, righteous prayers have a community element to them. Our Father. Notice the plural. It's a paradigm shift. When you pray, remember, you're a part of a family. You're a part of a community. You're a part of the, the body of Christ. So when we pray this way, it keeps the me out of out of, out of it. And it helps me to remember that I'm a part of something larger. And it's not by accident that Jesus uses the term Father to describe the God of the universe. And this term Father that Jesus would have spoken is the word Abba in, in Hebrew or Aramaic, or Aramaic, which means Daddy. Jesus wants His disciples to know that we have a living, holy, loving Daddy in heaven. Now that was radical. It was unusual for Jews of Jesus' day to call God Father because it was too intimate. And I acknowledge that it may be difficult for some of us in this room to pray that prayer because of maybe our experience with our earthly father. But again, the beauty of this phrase that Jesus wants us to see is that he wants us to know, and I'll use use a phrase from Andy Stanley. He says that God is both infinite and intimate. There's this emphasis here on this intimacy that, that as we step into prayer, that, we, that we, 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 it's a beauty to know. And so we, and we see Jesus model this prayer, Father, over and over again. When Jesus is in the garden, it's his first word out of his lips, Father, take this cup from me. When Jesus is on the cross, it's his first word on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them. And actually, he says it again. Father, into your hands I commit my, my spirit. And so, and so he models this intimate approach to the Lord as his Father. And truthfully, it's probably one of my most common prayers as well. And I hope it's yours. So when you have those moments in your day when those thoughts come flooding into your mind of, of fear or anxiety or, or just a lack of knowing what's happening and you move to, Father, help me. Now, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that we always need to address God as Father. But what it does is it frames our prayers once again in and around relationship. It helps set our eyes on His love. And Tim Keller has this amazing statement. It says that it implants into our hearts a comforting trust, which will make the rest of this prayer possible to pray. But in this verse, in this phrase, this first line, he teaches us that righteous prayers begin with relationship and reverence. You see that phrase, may your name be kept holy. He's our Father, but He's also King. He's our Father, but He holds all authority. I have full access to His presence, and yet He's always deserving of honor, respect, and praise. So I can run to Him. I I can run to Him like a parent. I can give Him a hug. I can speak to Him. I can share with Him, but but, but I also have to wait humbly for His response or for what He says because He also is King. And so praying that his name be kept holy is an acknowledgement of who he is. He is God. And as I pray, I give him praise. But it's more than just like me just, just naming his attributes. But it's a whole attitude. It's a posture. It's a conviction down deep that as I approach into his presence, he's holy. He's worthy of all worship. And it changes, the, it changes my attitude which then prepares me for this next verse, this next line. 
when Jesus teaches us to pray in verse 10, he says, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many, how many of us wish that his kingdom would come soon? I would say that over the last couple months, I've prayed this prayer. Look out the world, and I go, Lord, would you kingdom come? Would you step in? Lord, I long for heaven. I long for that day when your rule reigns because there's so much brokenness out there. This prayer, it bends our heart towards God, God's kingdom and God's will. It's an expression of longing. It's, it's an expression of looking. But at the same time, though, it keeps our eyes here. It keeps our eyes faithful and ready that, that I would say that, but may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I would say this, that despite the beauty of this phrase, this might be one of the scariest and hardest prayers for us to pray because, for us to pray, because what's at play here is this war between his kingdom and ours, his will and ours. And am I ready to relinquish my will? Am I ready to say yes to God, however he would respond to this prayer? And what's interesting here is I was reflecting on this this week, this week is that I see two questions at play in my heart as I think about this prayer. The first question that's at play is this, do I trust him? As one pastor wrote, unless I trust him, unless I am profoundly certain that God is my father, I will never be able to say and pray Thy will be done. So do I trust him enough to pray this prayer that he's good, that he loves me, that he has my best, that he knows all things and that, that I can say this? The second question is this, am I willing to surrender my kingdom for his? Do I really want his kingdom over my own? Now, Jesus wasn't exempt from this struggle. He actually gives us the greatest example of this struggle, but then also the greatest example of trust and surrender. So you recall that scene in the garden that I alluded to earlier where Jesus prays three times in Matthew 26, pretty much this prayer where he says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. If you're going to use repetition in any prayer, this is probably the one to do it in. To say, your will be done, your will be done. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that not only is prayer about relationship and reverence, but it's also about submission and surrender. And when Jesus said, but your will be done, Jesus was putting, putting his flesh, his will, his kingdom, his way to death in that prayer. It was an act of surrender and submission. And without surrender and submission, everything else is just empty words. It's that babble that we looked at in verse 5. How are you doing with this one? How am I doing with this one? When I pray, do I camp out here? Sadly, I would say, I would bet that the content of most of our prayers has little to nothing to do with God's will and God's kingdom. A couple months back, I, I said something to another staff member that I shouldn't have. Uh, it was wrong. Um, it was potentially offensive. Um, and I remember being on the way home, driving home, talking to the Lord about it and asking him what I should do. And it was one of those conversations that kind of went in circles in my head. I'd pray to God, I'd ask for his help, um, but my mind would very quickly travel to justifying what I said, uh, to excusing what I said, and then strategizing how to not, how to not have to deal with it. Um, 
And then somewhere in that cycle, the conviction of the Lord, His grace, prompted me and just like, and I kind of started to discern like, Nick, you're not really looking for my will. You're, look, you're, you're looking for your own, um, because if you're looking for mine, mine is right in front of you. But every time it would come, I'd want to redirect my thoughts or direction. Um, and, and he was right. What I really wanted wasn't God's will, it was, it was mine. I wanted my will. I wanted to excuse having to apologize, to excuse having to fess up. Well, I made, I made a phone call shortly after that moment. But you see, oftentimes when we enter into prayer with our will, or oftentimes when we enter into prayer, our will and God's will can be at odds. They can be out of alignment. But Jesus is teaching us here that this is one of the goals of prayer, to, to lay before the Lord our will, to merge our will with His, and that's what's at play here. And this is so important because everything else that follows in the prayer builds from here. It assumes that there's relationship and reverence. It assumes that there's surrender and there's submission. And it prepares us then to prepare to, to move into these next categories of prayer. These, these three categories of what we're calling these categories of need. We need God's provision. We need God's pardon. And we need God's protection. Verse 11. Give us today the food we need, or as more common, give us today our daily bread. This is a prayer of God's provision. And while he was talking about food here, this, this prayer is an, is an effect and an invitation for us to bring to the Lord all our needs. So Father, today would you give us, would you give us food? Would you provide food for us? Father, today would you, would you give me the wisdom I need as I step into this situation? Father, would you help me, lead me to the right job? Would you help me as a parent? Father, would you, would you give us what only you can provide? And this is a reminder of the source of our provision. And don't miss that this is a daily thing. Give us today the food that we need. It keeps us dependent. I, I would suspect that many of our refrigerators, many of our checking accounts have enough for tomorrow's bread. So how do we keep our need for God in front of us? Well, we pray this prayer. It helps us not take for granted His provision today. And one more thing I think is cool about this, 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 this verse is that it also helps us to accept God's portion for our lives. His daily bread for, for us, which may look different than the daily bread for somebody else. I often, I, I can find myself coveting what others have. But this is why this prayer is so helpful for us because it, it reminds us of surrender and submission and it leads us to contentment and thanksgiving no matter what the Lord has given, because we pray, God, just give us today. Verse 12, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, the first part of this line, Jesus never had to pray. He was sinless. But it makes me love Jesus that much more that he leads us in how to pray it. Because in it is this assurance that he already knows that we're going to mess up. He knows that we will inevitably and repeatedly sin. And as one author put it, he says, part of the beauty of the Lord's prayer is that it recognizes this and it includes within itself a remedy. This prayer reminds us of our true state as a debtor in need of pardon, 
It reminds me that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. It keeps me running to the Father. Our, our Father shows this type of forgiveness every day. The gospel is built on this type of forgiveness. Jesus, Jesus models this prayer, Father, forgive them on the cross for they know not what they do. Now, although we're quick to pray the first line, though, I would say that oftentimes it's hard for us to pray the second line. But discipleship requires us to follow. If we're going to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, forgiveness is not an option. It's not optional. And asking forgiveness while not forgiving others, it kind of makes us like the people that we talked about in verse 5 as hypocrites, where we won't do for others what the Lord so graciously has done for us. The Father has forgiven me so much. But, and, and remember, we forgive not based on, what, on whether people deserve it or not. We, we forgive because we've been forgiven. It's not about what they did to us, but it's what God has done for us, and we forgive from the overflow of that. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, when we forgive, we're doing for others what our Father in heaven did for us. Now, I would say, make no mistake, though, here that it, it takes all these things that we've talked about, relationship, reverence, submission, surrender, dependence on God, to forgive some, to help us forgive someone that hurt us. It's not easy. I'm not saying it is. But as Christ followers, this prayer moves us in and says, and says this is the way, like if you want to start anywhere, start by praying this because it reminds us of who you are as a sinner. And it also reminds us of what God has done. And it also reminds us that by talking to God, he starts to help merge our wills to his where we can get to that point. Finally, verse 13. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This line is a prayer of protection from that war within, that war within of our sinful nature, that war within of the temptations that come, as well as from the war from without, the war of the evil one who's waging war to destroy us. The Message Bible says this, as Lord, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. The truth is, is that we are, we are weak. We're subject to temptation and as we seek God's kingdom and God's truth, we, we cannot overcome our desires on our own. We are, we are easily led astray. I know I am, and we must be aware enough and wise enough that we know that we need God's help. And so to have this on our minds, like, oh, Lord, would you guard my heart, guard my mind, guard my, guard, give me the strength I need to resist the temptation. Help me, Father, to be aware that there's an enemy. Help me, God, to put on your armor that you've given me. Let me put it on. Temptation will never cease as long as we live, but righteous, these righteous prayers remind us of our dependence on God. Not just for His provision, not just for His pardon, but for His protection. And as we walk through His prayer, that's kind of the structure. That's, that's it. That's the Lord's prayer. This is the prayer that the Lord taught us 2,000 years ago. Pray like this. And I love it because He gives us a simple template. It's this practical structure that he gives us for, for us to, to think about how, this is how we think about prayer. And, it's, and as, as he teaches us how to pray, we learn about what prayer is. Righteous prayers are all about relationship with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is about reverence for his goodness and his greatness and his holiness. 
prayer is about surrender, surrendering our will and submitting to His will. Prayer is about dependence on Him for His provision, His pardon, and His protection. And so when we pray, let us pray like Jesus prayed. Before I close, let me just share one story that I ran across this week. Eugene Peterson writes the story of a time when he went to do a pastoral visit to a woman in his church. And this woman, she had been widowed for several years. Uh, Her children were grown. She had no need to work. So she wasn't doing much outside the home, but she was in the state where she just was really discouraged. And as he tells the story, they were sitting in her living room um, and they were just talking and, and she was, and he was feeling like the conversation wasn't going anywhere. Or it was just kind of going in circles and it, he didn't really know kind of where the, where, where the Lord was kind of leading and guiding the conversation to anywhere purposeful. And she had a piece of needlework on her lap and, and he's just trying going, all right, Lord, where, where, where do we go with this conversation? I want to encourage her, but how do I help? How do I say, what do you want me to say? And he was feeling this tension until she says this. She says, do you know what I need? I need something to give shape to my life. I need something that would provide tautness, and that's a weird word, but this tightness. And she pointed to her embroidery hoop. She said, I need, I need something like this, like an embroidery hoop for my soul. Because right now I feel like my life is a loose piece of cloth and you can't do fine needlework for, with, any, with any loose piece of cloth. And he says, and, and he in his mind goes, that's it. That's what I'm going to, Lord, thank you. Because he starts to go, he starts to then bend her towards the Lord's prayer. And he says, I've got just the frame, just the hoop for, for you. And he says, the Lord's prayer is exactly the sort of device for our soul. It's a frame. This is his phrase, a frame across which to stretch your soul tight with attention in the presence of God. And I love that. That was so helpful for me this week because it's a frame across which to stretch our soul tight with attention in the presence of God. Now again, I was talking to somebody this week, said, how often do you pray the Lord's Prayer? And that person said, well, not, not too often. But the more we think about how Jesus teaches us and the structure of it, the template of it, the guide of it, 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 it stretches us tight. It gives us the frame that our soul needs as we walk with him. May that be so. May that be the frame for us as we lean deeper and deeper into prayer as we think about what prayer is. In the next just few, few seconds, what I'd love to do is this. Um, I'd love for us to kind of take some space. They're going to play a little bit underneath, um, but just kind of settle. And I'm going to put the Lord's Prayer on the screen. Um, and I'd love for you to listen and respond quietly. Like listen to what the Lord is saying, has been saying, and then respond quietly in your heart in prayer to the Lord. And maybe use the phrases. Maybe there's one phrase. Maybe it's all of it. And just use the next 45 seconds or so to just sit quietly in the Lord's presence.
our Father. We thank you. That's the phrase. That's the phrase for me, Father, right now in this moment. Just thank you for the way you guide and lead us. Thank you that you love us so much, God, that you are so aware of all that's going on in our hearts and our lives and our minds today, and you invite us to yourself. And so, Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for your word that teaches us. Continue to reveal yourself deeper and deeper, but God, also, just help us continue to trust you. We trust you, Father. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You are God in heaven and he
Thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you're new, I want to welcome you again and tell you how happy that we are that you're joining us this morning. And before you leave campus, if you could drop by Connection Point, we'd love to get to know you. Also, in the lobby, in the main lobby, you might see that we have our graduating senior prayer cards. We're so proud of our graduating seniors, and we want to invite you to be praying for them as they go into their next season. Um, On the card, you'll see some prayer requests. You can grab a card, put it on your um, refrigerator or at your desk, and be praying for our seniors. If you have a prayer need this morning, we want to be praying with you and for you. Um, Nick will be in front after the service if you need prayer this morning. If you'd like to share your prayer request, online at newcity.us slash prayer. Our prayer team will be praying for you. Or you could also um, put your prayer needs on the back of one of our connect cards and give it to a host. And lastly, one of the ways that we respond to worship is through giving. So you can give this morning at newcity.us slash give or in the drop boxes on your way out. Thank you. Hey, before we go, if you would, would you extend your hands for this benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, New City. Thanks.
Oh